Hey everybody, welcome to Thumbnail, a visual arts podcast. I'm Joe Roshert, illustrator, animator, and adjunct professor. And I'm Louis Rosignol, visual artist. And today's episode, we're going to be talking about failures. Yeah. And basically working through failures, and they're pretty much inevitable. This was your topic that you chose, and I actually really love the topic, particularly now because with social media, people are always putting out like the best work they do right. and everyone's putting out all their, you know, all the fun things that they do. So it can make you feel like nobody's failing except yourself. Right. When all you ever see. So this is good that we're talking about this. But before we do, I, we have a news story. Um, we try to like to try to talk about things that are in the news that relate to art. So this one is coming from Paris and it is the fact that a, a bunch of or it might be um, France, anyway. But some of them are in Paris. There's some museums in Paris that got together and they released about 100,000 images of famous paintings and, and other pieces of art. And they released them to the public, high-quality images. And they said these are available royalty-free. You can do what you want with them. You can use them even commercially, which I thought was... That's where I, why it really wow. interested me. Yeah. As illustrators, you know, some some of the jobs illustrators do is like editorial work. So could could we not do that before? I'm wondering if we were actually able to do that anyways, because they're old enough. Oh, that's a good point. I don't think you'd be able to get away with it with certain pieces. I think I think that the rights to those pieces are still owned. You may, maybe you would have had to take your own high quality images of the paintings. Oh, that could be too. But the point is because they're available like royalty free and like you said there may be have already been that, that they were available but people can use them in like ads or as editorial art for their piece if if, if you have a library of hundreds of thousands of, of pieces of art to choose from you're likely to find something in there that that fits the article you're using mm -hmm. and so this could take away work from editorial illustrators is what i was thinking that's why i thought it was interesting maybe maybe it's like a uh, a clip art scenario you mm -hmm. know, where everyone's going to know <laughs> that it's clip art or that it's one of these paintings. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. like s how stock images can be really obvious. Like even when you're looking for stock images, you're trying to find images that don't look very stock imagey. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know. It's I don't weird. Know how it's, I it's feel. Just, I know. It's, I just thought it was strange because it's like... I feel like it's nice that it's bringing that artwork to people who might not or probably won't be able to see it in person, right? We've, we've talked about this before, where the benefits of being able to consume this art or, and see this art on, in a digital format versus seeing it in person. And I think it's good in the sense that now it's just high-quality images are available for everybody. That's, that's kind of, that's nice. I'll be, I'll be able to see images that I wouldn't probably be able to see in person. Yeah, in that way. I was thinking, too, you know what's weird is the article said that they were really high quality images, and it also said that they were they have made available with no limitations, so and can... that included commercial. And so I'm wondering, could someone literally just reproduce them and sell posters of them if they wanted to? That's what it sounds like. The other, the other thing about that is if people start doing that and selling posters of them, then you know people already don't seem to understand that it's really ethically an issue to copy someone's art because i know i've had my work ripped off and people sell posters of it and that's extremely frustrating and if these um museums are making these you know famous Picasso pieces available for anybody to sell posters of then people start the lines get blurred and people don't even see an ethical problem with it anymore you know what i mean yeah and then does it reduce the value of the original or does it increase the value of the original to me, like the more people that know about the piece, the, the, the valuable of the actual original can only go up. That's what I'm thinking. Right. right. But the, still, the, the fact that anybody can just reproduce these and sell them, I, I don't know. It just seems like weird. But like you said, they might be old enough where it might not have been an issue anyway. Like right. You like might have been able to do it. Who would even get the monetary worth of licensing those paintings now? Like, you can't really pass on your licenses to your kids, kids, kids. You know, there's got to be right. there's got to be some limitation 
of 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 royalties, right? But some of these pieces aren't that old too, right? So they're in the museums and maybe some of the artists are still alive. I I would think they would have to get the permission of the artist unless the museum bought the rights, I don't know. And then it's like if a museum houses a piece of art, does that mean that they own the rights to that piece? Like to do whatever they want with? I I don't know the laws behind it. I just found it interesting and and I don't know. You know, I don't know all that much about it except that I I see that it could cause some issues and that's why I wanted to discuss it a little bit, see what your thoughts were. Yeah, that's I think there's a lot of things I don't know for sure. Like I don't know what kind of rights the museums even have to begin with by owning the piece. Maybe they do have the rights. I'm, I'm they must have them because they wouldn't be able to do what they're doing if they didn't have the rights, they, you know, to make these available. But anyway, that was the story I wanted to cover today. I thought it was was interesting. That is interesting. So you messaged me yesterday and said, you want to do, want to talk about failures for this podcast? Yeah. And I said, yeah, let's do it. So what, what made you decide you wanted to, to do that as a topic for well, today? I think failure is so important on so many levels. I think we need to make failure easier. Like make it easy for people. Talk about failures. Talk about where we've went wrong, and then maybe maybe just talking about it will help someone else not make that mistake. Talking about it could help you work through your own mistakes or failures. When you, you said make failures easy, I thought that wait wait a minute, what are you talking about? Failure. It's very easy to fail, but you mean like it's just easier to talk about it and yeah, and be open about it. Yeah, but also easier on yourself when you fail. You know, yeah. so so most of the time we go into doing anything not wanting to fail. But if we went into it, and if we went into anything thinking with with a different mindset, like well, as long as we're moving forward, the outcome isn't really the thing. Yeah, that is important. Now, when I think of fa- when you think of failure, you obviously think of success. Those are kind of like the right. opposites. But but I also and then you think of there's different levels of failure. You know, you can fail on a specific art piece you're doing but that's not the same as failing on a larger scale but i wanted to kind of define what you what you're talking about when you say failure because if you're looking at it from just a monetary standpoint and success to you is making a lot of money with your art then failing could have be tied into money i don't generally view it that way i i view success i don't view success as necessarily always being connected to money Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to get your thoughts on that before we got into actual failure, failures. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, and I think it changes. I think it always changes um, what that point of view is and what that mindset is. I guess when I think of failing and wanting to fail often, it's failing when I can, right? Like when I'm in my studio yep. and I'm working on a piece, I don't mind failing at it to make the next piece better. Right. I don't want to encourage like failing your classes. Like that's like a different kind of definition. It's like I don't mean failing by not paying your bills. You know, sometimes that could be a good lesson. But when you were in art school, right? Before you started your career as an artist. Yeah. In in your mind, what did success look like? Success looked like making a full-time living off of my art. And my, I'm glad off you said of my that. art only, and yep. by full time living, meaning within my means, I can pay my bills, live on my own, feed my gut, not be hungry, and not have to worry about having to get a second job. Perfect. I'm I'm so glad you said that. We are on the exact same page. I'm not someone that thinks success as an artist means you have to be widely known you have to make tons of money you you know you have to be rich and famous that's not success to me success is exactly what you said i can do this as my full-time job and pay my bills and i live a nice humble modest life Mm -hmm. and that's fine and so because success is means the same to us then maybe we're more on the same page with failure too yeah probably so where do you want to start with failures like do you want to start with early on like in chronological order or like big to small i'll let you lead it yeah so i wanted to just talk about failure keep talking a little bit more about failure in general and then maybe we dial in to a couple 
failures that really stick out in your mind, maybe based on your career so far. Okay. Um, I know there's two big failures come to mind for me or larger failures that I've learned from. And then like day to day, there's always little failures that are important to talk about too. Yeah. So generally I think it's so important to fail for one. And I think it's important to fail fast and fail often and remember to fail forward. So what I mean by fail fast, realize that the process you're doing isn't going to be working, you know, and to be okay with scrapping where you started or what you have done to start over to make a product that can be better in the long run and could actually save you time in the long run. Rather than just like knowing something is maybe failing, but just keep working at it and then you end up wasting more time. Is that what you mean? Right. Sometimes when you don't fail fast, you stay in that failure zone that and you're just putting band-aids on the problem instead of fixing the problem and this could be this could be taken in a variety of different contexts from art to accounting you know like there's a lot of a lot of processes that that need to that you need to fail fast at failing often what i mean by that is the more you fail the more you learn and you learn a lot more from your failures than you ever do from your successes so Mm -hmm. the more you fail the more you're going to learn so fail off and you'll learn more. And then failing forward, when you realize your failures and come to terms with them, analyze, fix. By fixing those failures, you're failing forward. And by having the mindset of failure as a forward step still and not a backward step, I think that's an important mindset to have. Yep. So since I've been talking for a little bit, uh, do you have any failures, Lewis, that come to mind career-wise that rise to the top for you? It is a weird topic to talk about because failure means so many different things Mm -hmm. to to different people. And for instance, I put out pieces on Instagram and said, like, I'm really not happy with this, how this came out. I view it as a failure. And then people comment, I think it's great. And so to them, it's not a failure. So failure in itself is kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Subjective. Subjective, right? I've spent a few days before sending out postcards to all sorts of art directors and not getting even a single response. So is that a failure? It could be. It, it could. Maybe I also got a job because of one of those that I don't know that I got it. You know what I mean? Because you don't know where things come from. So right. it's hard to put a, a finger on like a large failure's because like I was thinking of Donald Trump, for instance, who's president right now, mm-hmm. and he, he's done a lot of different businesses and many of them have failed and he can put his finger on those. But obviously, overall, I don't think I'm not endorsing Donald Trump. I don't do politics and I'm not about to start getting into an, an argument here. But no matter how you view Donald Trump, to call him a failure would be overall would be pretty ridiculous. I mean, he's probably the most known and powerful person in the world right now, right? Mm. But he's had many failures that you can put your finger on. So when you when you said, let's talk about failures today, I actually did think of too many. I thought of more life failures okay. than, than career failures. Are any of these life failures connected to your career? Well, they're, they're the reason I'm doing what I'm doing, oh, right? Well, then that, so, yeah, that's fine. But I do want to talk about them because they're important. Like, you know, so if you see some people might look at what I'm doing and think like, well, he's a successful artist, right? Because I make a full time living. I've got a decent amount of people that follow my work. And over the last couple of years, I've grown that. But I'm also 40 years old and I spent a lot of years doing a lot of stuff I hated. And, and were they failures or was it just like like you said, sometimes your failures are just like a stepping. They're like stepping stones to get you where you're going to go. Right. Right. Were they failures or were they stepping stones? I, I also, just so hard to put your finger on. I wanted to, uh, before I share mine, I wanted to hear maybe what you thought of as your failures and, okay. then, I'll, and then we can kind of trade. Sure. I kind of think stepping stones and failures are kind of the same thing. And that's where I okay. think mindset comes into place is getting, disregarding the meaning of failure, the, the actual meaning of failure, the literal meaning, and replacing that with like a stepping stone mentality. Mm -hmm. So one of my biggest failures was actually when I first started my career, almost in the very beginning of my career. Okay. Taking on a project 
from a friend of a friend, big project, rush job, ended up being multiple rush job pieces for a music festival that was supposed to happen. But the music festival never happened. I did all this work. The person who was on the line to pay me for all this work that I completed never paid me. Because I got this job originally is why I went full all in on my freelancing. I ended up renting a studio. And this is before having check in hand. So I'm just, I'm counting my eggs before they're hatched, you know? Yeah. I'm like, okay, I know this money's coming in. I'll be able to afford it. Have a separate studio. Now I'm ready to go. And now I'm doing all this work in this studio. And this check never comes. It still hasn't come. You know, this, this is... 2011 it's probably going to come any day <laughs> yeah any day now <laughs> every every year i keep i keep sending an invoice and hear crickets so <laughs> oh man but that was that was a huge failure and so what what were some things that i could have done differently before you continue i'm su- i'm kind of surprised you count that as a failure do you think it's a failure because you you got into some financial made some financial decisions before you had the money and so you made and that decision you count as like kind of a failure because i mean they didn't pay you so that's really more on them so you mean like the decisions that you made that put you in a financial position that was unfavorable yep that that's definitely what i learned from that and i've also learned like well what are some ways that could have been prevented right so right Sometimes you have to treat your family, friends, and friends of friends like you would with any other client. You know, get the 50% deposit up front, things like that, that I now do. But I'm still guilty of trust. There still has to be a trust on some end, right? On both ends. That one, they're trusting me to do the job right and to even do the job, but Mm -hmm. I'm trusting them to pay me for the job. I hate asking. I hate asking for money up front. I hate it too. So like even even given the circumstances now, what would I do differently? I would probably one ask for money up front so that the client has skin in the game and then if it were to fail, at least I have half of it. Two, not spending money that you don't have was huge. And that was a huge lesson to learn right up front, especially like when I first started, I only had a couple hundred dollars in the bank. You know, and I think that was even a loan from a friend to even open the doing business as account that I had, you know. And so I'm scraping by and now having to scramble to put together money just to break even, let alone and reinvest to get the tools that I needed. So that stuck with me very early and has got me to this is where I fail forward, right? This is like a, a stepping stone for me of failing forward where. Now I'm super conscious conscious about my cash flow because I've learned that all businesses really depend on cash flow no matter how successful the business is. You could be crazy mm-hmm. successful and not have cash flow and fail your business because of that alone and then not spending what you don't have. So you learned from that. I mean, you took this failure and you really, you know, parlayed it into knowledge and now you're moving forward you know to, like you said, ask for half up front, which is hard to do because every time I ask for half up front, I feel like they're probably thinking like, oh, I don't know, you haven't done any work yet. But, you know, if someone asked me for half up front, I would understand like because I've I've actually been through the same situation as you where people, it doesn't happen often, but sometimes people don't pay you after you work for them. And it's really frustrating. Yeah, or don't pay you for a while. Like even well-known clients, big clients, Sometimes their their whole accounting team just like puts you on back burner and month yeah. to month and to month you're now not getting paid. And this happens to be now. These are these are all things that I think were good lessons to learn in the beginning to start saving up your nest egg, have at least 3 months to fall back on and then grow that nest egg as much as you can to have a comfortable financial health, to keep learning, to keep learning other things that it enticed me to learn more about business and to sign up for more business related classes to start networking more you know so this this beginning failure i think really actually did help jumpstart my career right but still i view it as a failure mainly because i didn't get paid i guess (laughs) (laughs) 
Feels yeah, it could feel like a failure. So your that failure was tied into money, which is fine. Some some definitely are. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of a failure that's that I had that's similar to that, but mine is really more my fault. I got a job that was a commissioned work. Someone hired me to do a portrait of their wife. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you the lesson I learned later, but I said sure. They wanted it to be a really large portrait. And I usually draw small you know, like 11 by 14, not big, but they wanted like a three by four foot portrait, Mm -hmm. like really big. And so I charged a lot of money for it because that is way out of my comfort zone, my wheelhouse. I don't really have the space for it. Just basically, I don't like to do large work. And so I always charge quite a bit for any time I have to. And I asked for half up front because I'm not going to do a huge piece like this and not get paid like you, like, Mm -hmm. um, like we're talking about. And I didn't even ask him to send any photos before, which which I should have. And so anyway, he sent me, after he paid up front, he sent me photographs of his wife. And first thing I noticed, she was like very generic, plain looking, you know, so she's pretty, but very, no, dis- nothing distinct about her. So I knew as soon as I saw the picture, oh, this is going to be a hard one to draw mm-hmm. and make it look like her. And I spent probably about a week and a half, I did a couple of different sketches and versions. And then when I finally started on the actual, the paper I was, I was set to use for the final piece. After a couple hours, I knew that it didn't really look like her. And I just kept trying to fix it. Like you said, what we were talking about earlier, I should have just scrapped it and started again. Mm-hmm. But I kept going and I spent another couple days on it, just trying to like f- fix it and get it to like bring it back around. Mm-hmm. And I just never could. And by then I was just was so tired of working on this piece. And I contacted the guy and I said, I've spent like a week and a half pretty much on this piece. And I'm just, I can't start. I can't bring myself to start from scratch and start over. And it's just not, I'm not happy with how it's coming out. And so he had paid me like a couple thousand dollars and I just returned it to him. Rather than finishing it and getting a couple thousand dollars more, I thought it was better just to say, scratch it. And I don't think... I think he was upset with me, even though I returned, he didn't pay a penny. Mm -hmm. And really, I was the one that was out. I was out a week and a half of my time, Mm -hmm. right? I could have just said, here, I don't, it didn't come out that great, but here it is. But I felt so bad about that, about what I did to him, even though, like I said, he didn't pay a penny. And I was the one that was really struggling for a week and a half with this piece that I just couldn't, couldn't work through. Sometimes portraits are really hard to do yeah like people don't maybe realize that like you see a portrait artist and all the portraits you see them do they look really great that's because all the ones that don't look great they don't post on their social media or whatever so the the other flip side of that is he could have seen this portrait and absolutely loved it he wouldn't have oh he he wouldn't have i asked my wife and i said give me your honest opinion and she's like you made her look like 25 years older than she looks (laughs) (laughs) and the more i worked on it the older she looked Mm -hmm. and i just could not fix it and i knew he wouldn't lie i didn't want to show it to him i was Mm -hmm. i didn't i never sent him a photo or anything and i was just like horrified with how it came out and if i just didn't want to start over because i just had a bad feeling that i was going to go another week and it and start over and it still wouldn't come out right just because she was one of those people that's just hard to draw. Did you do sketches before going big? Oh yeah, no, I sketched it out. And sometimes when you sketch, it's a lot, you know, you're looser and it's easier. And then as soon as you know, it's the final piece. And because he was paying so much money for it, it made me even more anxious and nervous about it. And Mm. so I wasn't drawing like maybe as loose as I should or as I normally would. Do you project your sketches when you're making bigger? No, no. I know what you mean, like to so that I can like light box or trace it almost. You mean? Yeah, so that's what no. I do for bigger work to at least get the the shapes down and the, the the feel down a little bit before I start trying to get into it. For the for the large pieces I do that are portraits, I do try to like very lightly with some vine charcoal, like shape put the shapes in, mm-hmm. very really light enough so that I can easily erase things. But anyway, what I learned is. Now I don't do every commission that comes in. That's the first thing, which I used to. I used to, every anybody who wanted a commission, I would, yep, yeah, I'm all over it. And now I say, especially with portraits, I say, send me photographs. I want to see who I'm going to be drawing first. And because I, I can tell like who I'm not going to be able to do a good job drawing. And I don't know, like when someone 
asked me to do their two-year-old. <laughs> I don't even know why they would ask me because that's just not what my art lends itself to. Mm-hmm. And so I turned down sometimes commissions of pieces like that. But when you're first starting out as an artist, you don't want to turn down any work. Right. You're, you're so thankful to get jobs. Right. And even now it's hard turning, I, turning down work. And I only turn down stuff if it looks, I just know that there's no way I can do this, what they're asking me to do in, in a way that would do it justice. Right. Yeah. And then, well, sometimes I'll also accept work that I know is not going to be portfolio work for me. Yeah. So that's okay too. I think this, this piece in particular, because it was like a, a personal piece, he wanted to hang it on his wall. And so, and I knew like, you know, I don't know how much money the guy made or anything, but that's, you know, he, he was going to be paying a lot of money and I just didn't, I wanted it to be really good and it just wasn't turning out like I wanted it to. So yeah. I just gave up and gave him his money, the well, his deposit back and I hadn't spent it, thankfully. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, d- definitely. But I think that's admirable. I probably would have faked it and, <laughs> and, and sent him, sent him the, the thing anyways. And if he didn't like it, then try to fix it. But yeah, I was tempted I didn't want to turn down the money. It, it happened to be at a time where I was really busy. And so That's the money good. wasn't as important to me at that time. Mm-hmm. So, there's some parts of the year, though, where I think maybe you're right. I would have like, I'm going to keep going because I need this money. Yeah. And so it really depends where you're at. It's tough to say no to jobs. Then when it's slow and you look back at all the jobs you said no to and you wish that you had them now. And oh, yeah, that that always that always hurts. But you only have so much time in the day. And so much creativity in the tank to even give, you have to choose. So I thought that was a failure for sure. That's a good one. And it was similar to yours, except yours was more the client's fault. Mine was definitely my fault. Although I will say this, when he contacted me, he said, I'd like you to do, he had just seen, I had just done a large piece for someone else that I had posted online. And so he contacted me and said, I really like that piece. I would love you to do a large piece like that. And I said, yeah, sure, I'll do that for you. And he didn't tell me it was going to be a portrait of his wife until I had already agreed to do it. He made it sound like it was going to be kind of whatever I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Like he just wanted a big piece. And so I don't really love when people do that, when they make it sound like it's going to be like a really open-ended job. And then once you start hearing details, you realize they're really going to micromanage you a little bit. But, yeah. So that was a, a, a failure of, of a specific job for sure. Yeah, that's a really good one. Another failure comes to mind, but again, again, it's a financial one. Also, early on in my career. <laughs> Thankfully, that's what when they tend to happen. I'm glad that it did happen early because it could have easily not, and I could have easily been way more screwed. Where early, early in my career, I started networking on and this this group, and I met my accountant. And after one face to face coffee meeting. I find out that I'm doing all of my bookkeeping incorrectly. Oh. And at least at this time, it was still pretty early, only a couple of years in to my freelancing career. It could have been a lot worse. But what I was doing is I was co-mingling my accounts. And that means instead of separating my business as an artist in a different account entirely, I was making all my expenses and everything through just my personal account Mm -hmm. that's very bad as far as keeping track of all your bookkeeping and makes things just crazy crazy complicated so i had to go through a couple years of all my expenses so think every time you bought a candy bar every time you filled up gas you know every line item you're now trying to go back and remember was this business was this not business which is impossible and then manually shifting those transactions to a different you know area that that identified that that was business and so this whole process took me probably three months pretty consistent to catch up on while i'm doing all my other work and to finally get me caught up and i probably missed a lot i probably missed a lot of different business things i could have deducted yeah but i just did what i could and from then on completely separated my accounts and so now it's a lot easier whenever i'm buying ink or supplies in general i have a different card for that different account for that and now they're completely separate but that that's a big big thing i'm always telling my students to think about before they even get started to think of themselves as a business 
bookkeep accordingly. Bookkeep as if your art studio is a separate business from yourself. It's so important. So important. We could do a podcast just on taxes and and like the business of trying to organize your books and your in your you know accounts. Right. And so I am doing everything to the best of my possible ability, to the best of my knowledge. So there's still there could be ways that I'm doing things wrong or could be doing things better, but mm-hmm. I try to yeah, I try to pass on everything I can with that. So that was that was a big failure starting off and I think it's again good to fail fast. Fail fast was yeah. um I wish I was failed a little faster there, but but now I know your books are super organized and you're like I kind of wish I was a more organized like you because I know you do like QuickBooks and and it's yeah. really yeah, tight it's now. on QuickBooks now and I'm monthly going in and identifying what the expenses were and what they were for at the end of the year, printing off all my bank statements and saving all my receipts and stapling my receipts to the bank statement that it's on, keeping record of a physical filing cabinet, which sounds stupid these days no but i know what you mean though but i have a printed physical filing cabinet since the beginning of my freelancing career of all the paperwork that i need because you never know if you're going to get audited oh i hope i never get audited no i know that's that's the worst because you know no matter what if you're audited they're gonna find something so it's like here's everything i'm doing to try to not screw up yeah can you at least look at that please (laughs) i think if you get audited though the way i look at it is they're gonna see that you're obviously trying to be honest Mm -hmm. right and if if it's if you're off by a little it's going to be probably pretty minimal yeah and and that's you're not the type of person that would get in trouble or anything it's they're looking for people that are, are trying to screw over the government and you know like you're not like that you might have a mistake or two in your taxes mm-hmm. but it's not on purpose and i think that there's a difference yeah i think there's definitely a difference and i think it does help to having someone else be your accountant mm-hmm. so there's another line of defense there it's like well there's also a professional looking at your stuff sure there's could be stuff they're missing but it's also their job to see and, and, and organize you and so chances are you're pretty good yeah. yeah. So that's another reason to have an accountant. Oh, for sure. I, I, when you, when you run your own business, it's, it's almost crucial that you have someone else do your taxes because it's just, they get so complex that unless right. you know all the new laws and you know, you're, you're just asking to be audited. Right. Think, think of all the, think of all the stuff you've learned in college for a very focused thing. It's like, it's like, you're going to have to go, you don't want to go to college again to learn all that stuff just to be able to do your own books, you know, and to do your own taxes. and Not to mention that tax laws change every year. Right. I will make a recommendation, though. Like, for instance, I spend a lot of money for my business on shipping supplies. And so, oh, yeah. I, and I buy them all. I decided I'm going to buy them all at the same place. I buy them all at Staples. Sometimes I order them on staples.com. But if you get, like, a Staples card, Staples offers business cards and they will actually give you itemized uh, a yearly itemized report of all the things you bought and so there's a lot of different companies that offer that i think maybe even amazon will do it if you order a lot of um, art supplies or if they offer a card that has an itemized you know listing of everything you buy like definitely take advantage of things like that because that can make your life a lot easier I didn't know about it until last year, and now that's what I do for all my shipping stuff. I get it through Staples, and it's all taken. The receipts are all organized and taken care of by them, which makes it so much nicer. Are their prices comparable to more bulk suppliers, like a Uline or something? I think that I think they are. I buy online a lot of my stuff, and I think that their prices are fine. I mean, I usually look on Amazon and compare them, and they're usually right right in line. But they also give if you have the business card and you go there a lot. They always, every time you go, you go and buy anything, they give you tons of coupons. Mm-hmm. And so with the coupons, I think you're, you're actually probably getting even a better deal, like mm-hmm. saving more than some of those other places. Because every time I go in there, they give me like a 10 or 20% off coupon for the next visit. I buy in bulk on, on Uline and get all my envelopes and like packaging stuff from there. Like plastic sleeves and stuff. Not the plastic sleeves, but like the big cardboard envelopes. Yep. for sending flat work and the back backings like 
the card yeah. cardboard backings for prints. I do buy stuff on at Uline too. I I would say I get ninety percent of my stuff from Staples, but there's some things they don't carry, and Uline's another great option for uh, cheap shipping supplies mm-hmm. for sure. Which is, I mean, we're obviously not doing a shipping <laughs> supply podcast today, but um, now that we went off a little bit, right? But you've had failures with shipping. I don't know if we've talked about it here before. Oh yeah, with sending stuff to Australia and stuff like that. Yeah, no, you learned so much with the business. Like when you're first starting, I, I used to ship my stuff and my prints out with like one piece of cardboard. And then I realized I was getting like 25% of the people would say, well, my thing got damaged and I'd have to resend it. And so I put two pieces of cardboard. And now I, I know exactly how to package everything so it, it will arrive safely. And now, I mean, you're, you're always going to have something get damaged occasionally. Mm-hmm. But you don't want 25% of your packages to be damaged. If that's the case, you're probably not packaging your stuff right. Right. But, I mean, you can count on 2 2 3% of your packages will probably have an issue just because that's the nature of shipping yeah. goods. I guess, I guess I'll talk about my largest failure, Yeah. which is not an art failure, but it's, it's more of a life failure. And the reason I want to talk about it is because... Maybe there's people out there that are listening that are in a place in life where they feel like they're, there's no way out. Mm-hmm. And so I was, I ended up getting hooked on Oxycontin and Percocet and opiates, and I was hooked on them for years. And at that point in my life, I felt like, I literally felt like that, that there was just no way out. I wasn't ever going to overcome that and you know I was stuck kind of in a rut with my job and if I continued down that path I mean it was just a life failure I I can't even explain what sent me down that path and it took so much work to to dig myself out of it and I'm not going to get into to that and how many times I failed while trying to to get clean off of that but when I finally did that's when I realized like I got to I got to do something. I got to, I got to fix things in my life. And I ended up going back to school and studying art. And now I'm, I'm doing art and I'm so, and when I look back at like, you know, 12 years ago, I'm, I'm not, I'm just surprised at how far I've come in that amount of time. And so if you're, if you're somebody out there that's just in a place, doesn't, I'm not talking about if you're using drugs or anything, I mean, that could be the case, but if you're in a place where like you just, you don't think it's possible that you'll ever succeed with what you want to do like that's there is a way out and so you've just gotta sometimes it takes a lot of you have to go through a lot of pain Mm. and sometimes you have to hit like a really low spot before you can turn things around i i don't i don't want to say that going through that was good because it wasn't good it was awful but it definitely taught me a lot about how resilient people are or I am and so sometimes so I view that as a life failure and some people view using drugs or being addicted to drugs as like a failure of character or or character flaw and maybe it is or maybe sometimes you hear people say it's like a disease I don't know how to view it but the point is that was a huge failure right Mm -hmm. and sometimes failures are related to your career sometimes they're just that you're failing in life in some ways, you know, whatever, whatever they are, there, there's ways to turn them into positives and learn from them and, and come out on the other side as a better person in a better place. Yeah. Wow. That's great. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to, that's that. No, not a lot of people know that I don't talk about it a lot, but you know, there's a reason that I didn't graduate college until I was 30, 37. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I, I spent a lot of time in my 20s doing really stupid things. And and so I maybe I could have been doing art, you know, when I was in my 20s. And, and by now I would have been in even a better spot than I'm in now. Yeah, maybe, but maybe not, too. You know, so that that's why I think it's important to look look at these things as the stepping stones. You know, it's just just one more step to, to what brought you here and your success now. Everyone can tell their origin story and everyone has their hiccups on the way. Um, some are worse than others, of course, but um, all those 
all those origin stories are just stepping stones. It's true. But I think failure, talking about failure is huge and important because it really does show that no matter how successful someone looks, they've had probably many failures and they may even still be failing in a lot of ways. I know friends that I can think of two friends in particular that in, in a material way are so successful. You know, they have huge houses. They're just doing really well financially and maybe even their, their personal life's in a good spot. And both of these people I'm thinking of both filed bankruptcy more than a decade ago. And now they're doing great. So even if you get to the point where you fail at that level, where you have to, you're just like, I, I don't know what, I don't have a way out. I'm going to go bankrupt. Like you, there's still hope for you. People, mm -hmm. I think even Donald Trump went bankrupt, right? At least once, maybe even twice. Or it was like seven times or something. No, maybe seven times. Seven, so it's like seven businesses bankrupt or something. I don't, I don't think he ever personally went bankrupt, but I thought he did. But it, it the point is, you can you can fail so many times and still come out ahead in the end. It does those aren't your failures aren't don't define you, mm -hmm. right? Definitely. I don't think anybody's gonna think of Donald Trump and just think. Well, I guess there are people that probably do focus on all his failures, but the point is like. That you know, they your failures really don't define you. You can you can make a, a name for yourself that has nothing to do with with all of those things. Definitely, and it's sometimes just as hard to put failures aside. Let's say I was brought up in a very wealthy family. Yeah, that's a lot of pressure too to succeed or quote unquote succeed, however you define that as someone who's been given everything, because then you're always looked at as the person who has that golden parachute, right? Well, that's true too, yeah. And your success is not a result of your own doing. Yeah. And so what? what's harder in the long run? I'd, I'd personally rather have nothing, have started with nothing and grown to what I am, because that's a success story, right? And then people know that it was you. Right. It's the, it's the whole defining failure thing. I think that's that needs to be talked more about. It, I know I I think this this is kind of related. I don't know if are you familiar with like the story about the king that asks like the, the artist to draw like I think it's a chicken. Has did Marianne tell you that story ever? I think she's the one that told it to me. I don't know. I can't remember it. It's a short story. This king of the kingdom he asks like the the artist. He has his own artist, and he asks him he needs a drawing of a chicken. I don't know why. But he needs a drawing of a chicken. And so the artist goes, goes away. And about a week later, he comes back to the king. And he takes out a piece of paper. And he draws a chicken. Takes him like 10 seconds. And then he gives it to the king. And he says, that'll be $1,000. Mm -hmm. And the king's like, it took you 10 seconds to do that. Why would I pay you $1,000? And the artist has the king come back to his studio. And he opens the door. And there's like crumpled up paper and garbage everywhere, all these sketches of chickens and terrible drawings of chickens everywhere. And the king didn't see all these failures and, and all, you know, all these mistakes and things that led up to him being able to draw that chicken in 10 seconds perfectly. And this story had more to do with like why you can charge a lot for your art. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, especially if you're someone like me who can, I can draw something pretty good, something pretty good in like an hour. Right. But then I can charge you know, $500 for it or something. And maybe I feel bad charging that. But Marianne's like, no, no, you have to realize that the reason you can draw it in an hour is because of all of the practice and all the failures that led up to that. Right. And you put in all that work. And so they're pay they're not paying for that hour. They're paying for everything, all of that other stuff. Right. And so all your failures lead up to you being able to do things successfully. Yeah. I, I think that that's important to realize, like, you're, you know, there's nobody that is successful right off the bat without having tons of different things that they do wrong in order to get to the point where they're doing things right. Yeah, I totally agree with that. That's great. It's kind of like what if you were to look at old pieces of yours or early early works. Mm -hmm. I had I had a studio mate who always told me never to never identify your pieces as old because it devalues them. <laughs> So just early. Oh, that's interesting. Just early. early works. It's my early work. Yeah. But personally, you could look at your early work and think that's crap and that's a failure. Mm -hmm. But at the time, 
you didn't think it was a failure. Well, that's true. And maybe 10 years from now, you'll look at your work that you're doing right now and think it's crap. Exactly. Right. But but you don't view it as that right now. Right. But right now you're thinking of it as a stepping stone. So why not think of it? Think of all your failures that way from the get go. Yeah, that's so true. And you always think about this, too. So there's probably well, no, there's not probably there's tons of artists right now that are hobby artists that view your life as a full time artist and and wish they were in your position. Mm-hmm. They would love to be able to make their full career as an artist like you're doing. Mm-hmm. Right. And then there are artists that are way above us that are making millions of dollars a year. And then they look at us and prob and would hate to be in our position because it would be such a drop from where they are now. And so your position is the same, but to two different people, you know, one of them to get to that level would be a huge dream. And to someone else, it would be like a nightmare, Yeah, you know, because they're making so much more. And so where you are in your career and how successful you are is it really doesn't it's all perspective and so you got to view you got to remember that it's yeah. always people that are gonna wish that they were where you are yeah i've talked i've talked to people in the animation industry one-on-one and i've always looked up to them as artists and think oh it must be nice to have that consistency and that paycheck coming in and the health care coming in and blah 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 yeah but then at the same time, the same person I'm talking to is like, dude, you have it made. You're doing your own thing. And it's right. like, I want to do that. And you're like, okay, that's weird. Because now we're, we're both looking up at each other and not recognizing what we have. That's so true. I think it was Gary V. It was, I can't remember if it was him or maybe Mark Cuban or somebody was, was talking, you know, giving like a, a lecture or something. And, it was like a Q&A and some young kid was like 20 years old and they had a question about, you know, they wanted to be a millionaire. What's the quickest way to be there? You know, I think it was Gary Vee that said, like, would you want to switch places with me right right now? You're me and I'm you. And the kid's like, oh, yeah, for sure. And, and he was like, I would take that trade in a heartbeat because I would love to be 20 again. Hmm. You know, like you have so much time ahead of you. And so, like, we have to remember that that type of thing too. Like, you know, time is is way more valuable than than money. And so, if you're looking at artists that are way far ahead of you, um, and they're older than you, like, you 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 have plenty of time to get there. And so, don't devalue your time and your effort. And it kind of goes along with what you were saying. Like, everyone always wants to be, always sees like the green the greener grass on the other right. side. And so. I'm sure most millionaires that are in their 70s would give all their money to be 20 again. And right, I I don't know. I got off track a little bit. Well, it's but. like how like how much how much would you pay for your freedom? Like the freedom that you have as a freelance artist right now. Like how much of your money would you would you pay to do that? And so if I was in a different position where I was making way more money, you know, I, I kind of evaluate that in my head. Like I would, I would pay a lot. I would pay almost everything to have my freedom. You're right. So when no work is coming in, but you still have your freedom, you you have to reevaluate how reevaluate your feelings, right? Yeah. No, it's so true. So appreciate what you have. Um, we got a little off track, I guess, from failures to just appreciating where you were, but. They're definitely related because failure and success are related. And now we're talking about success and how it's measured in so many different ways, right? Mm -hmm. We we were watching something about, I think it was Columbine, that school shooting. Yeah. And like they were interviewing one of the people that was there. And they're they're obviously all, you know, it's 20 years later. And they were thinking at the time, right before the shooting, they were worried about saving up enough money to get this something they want i don't know what it was maybe like a new stereo and as soon as the bullets start flying they're like nothing that stuff's not important anymore now my the only thing that's important is staying alive right and so we have to remember like what's important and um money is such a small part of what's important it's not it's really not that important right, right. and so success should not be that's why i was so happy when you said you don't define success that way. Success is happiness, right? Yeah. 
Are you happy? Right. You you could be a full-time waiter. It's a simple question too, right? Yeah. But you could if be a full-time a, waiter, right? Sorry. Yeah, you could be a full-time waiter and just draw in your free time and have fun when you're drawing. And you could view yourself as a success. Or being a waiter is your success. Or that's your success because that's not there's important nothing, to there's you. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Well, that's it. I, I was trying to relate it to art. I wasn't trying to say like in order to be right. happy, you had to do art. Like obviously you can be a happy waiter. You know, a lot of people are because their job is just a means to uh, living and they they spend most of their time thinking about their family and so their home life. And that's what's more important to them. So you just have to have priorities and think about things in, in a different way. I think that was a good talk. Um, I think failure should be something that is a recurring thing we talk about every now and then. Even if it's just sprinkled in talking about even even little little failures, I think it's important, especially at the stage of career that we're at and the stage of the career yeah. of our the listeners that are who are probably listening are at too. I think it would be helpful for everybody. I think so too. And let us let us know your failures. Um, would love to hear them. Love to hear how you failed forward, how you've overcome things. Shoot us. Shoot us a message uh, via email at thumbnailpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to compile things and maybe maybe we could work those into another podcast in the future. That's a great point. And if, you're, if there's something that you're failing at and you're having trouble overcoming it, that's something we can maybe address in a future podcast. We'd love to. Any feedback that we get from listeners, I think we'll definitely try to answer questions and things in, in the podcast. Yeah. So yeah, thank you. Uh, um, I did want to say too, for listeners of the podcast, both Joe and I are going to be offering a 25% off discount in our Etsy shops. Yep. And the promo code will just be thumbnail yep. and all capital. All capital thumbnail. Exactly. So anything in either of our Etsy shops at checkout, just use that promo code and you'll get 25% off um, as just a thank you for being listeners. Well, thanks again for joining us today and uh, have a great week. Yeah. Thanks everybody. Take care. <laughs>